WJMS Media is the proud Raise Your Voice media sponsor for the American Lung Association's 8th Annual Lung Force Walk New York City, taking place on Saturday, May 21st at Pier 16 at the South Street Seaport in Manhattan. Walk with us to raise critical awareness and funds to end lung cancer and other chronic lung diseases. For more information on how to register for free or donate, visit www.lungforce.org NYC. Because when you can't breathe, nothing else matters. The views and opinions expressed by any guest or host of WJMS Media do not reflect the beliefs of its owners or associates. No liability, explicit or implied, should be extended to WJMS Media or its show hosts, whose words, advice, and or opinions appear from or on our website or on air. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine, nine. Are we on the air? This is WJMS Media. Jam. This chick is a sick individual. You're tuned in to Sound Off with your girl Jams right here on WJMS Media. There is no competition. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Sound Off right here on WJMS Radio or WJMS Media. Oh, old habits die hard, (laughs) y'all. This is your girl, Jams. I am so excited to be with you today. I have a really good show for you. Um, As you know, you know, obviously I am an advocate for lung cancer because it's near and dear to my heart, being as though I have my own diagnosis and I'm navigating my own complicated, twisted journey with it. Um, But I have a special guest today who actually reached out to me from some of the advocacy that I'm doing. And so I'm really excited to talk to uh, this woman today. Before we get into the conversation, we are live on Facebook and uh, YouTube as well in both of our Facebook group and our Facebook page. So anybody who has questions, comments, you want to drop in and leave some love, um, anything like that, feel free to go ahead and drop a comment in the chat on either of those two platforms. We'll be able to see them and I'll try to fold them into the conversation as we go. Uh, Make sure that you uh, allow StreamYard access to your profile. Otherwise, you just come up as Facebook user or YouTube user. And, you know, if you want to be able to say your name and give you your shout out, uh, definitely make sure you allow access so that your name will pop up on the screen as well. Um, Also, make sure you check us out on our social media pages. Again, it's Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, and TikTok. We are on TikTok as well. And if you want to check out some more of the video content, we have a YouTube page also where mostly our archives from our shows are staying and living for the time being. But there is more to come, so make sure you stay tuned on that. Um, And also, I want to thank the folks behind the scenes that make WJMS Media possible to the folks that support us, listen to us, tune in, share our, you know, content and whatnot and engage engage with us. We really, really appreciate it. So without further ado, I want to bring on the screen today, Miss Yolanda Brunson Sarabo, and she is a petite powerhouse, but she's made a name for herself and she's a force to be reckoned with in the fashion industry. She's a sourcing production whiz in the private label and manufacturer business. She's the founder and president of Spitfire Productions. She's producer, writer, executive director for the Lung Cancer's Inhale Hope, Exhale Stigma PSA. She's the author of two books, not one, but two, The Ins and Outs of the Fashion Industry from a Fashion Insider and Another Face of Multiple Myeloma. Spitfire Productions is the umbrella of her multi-brands, and her group works with new designers and authors who wish to enforce strategies in building their fashion brands. Yolanda is a brand herself and runs her business to reflect her passion and her creations, and she has formed a movement, um, and she, you know, her life takes new turns, and she learns more about 
her Mad About Myeloma movement. She is definitely somebody that I am excited to bring on screen with me today. So Yolanda, welcome to the show and how you doing this evening? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm so good. I'm so good. I'm happy to see you and I'm really excited that we got to set this up. I was really happy when you reached out to me. Oh, thank you. I'm excited. I'm nervous. No, 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 no. Don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. It's like a conversation between friends. So I wanted to, I mean, I gave a little bit of an intro for you and and a little bit of your biography, but why don't you give the audience a little bit more of an in-depth biography as to, you know, sort of where you came from, where you grew up and stuff like that, and then we'll dive into your journey. Okay, sure. So hello, everyone. My name is Yolanda, so I'm a Brooklyn Knight, New Yorker. Okay. Um, love Brooklyn. Um, born in Brooklyn. Um, have gone to school in Brooklyn. Obviously, um, went to FIT. I studied marketing. Um, I have two degrees. I have a marketing degree as well as fashion merchandise. So I also went to. Um, Kingsborough Community College um, when they did have a fashion program many moons ago. Um, and I've kind of, I've been in the industry over 20 years, you know, whether it's technical design, product um, development, production management, a little bit of everything, you know, working with a lot of vendors around the world, um, factories around the world. Um, I've worked with um, outerwear, activewear, children's, just a little bit of this and a little bit of that. So um, I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> oh, no? <laughs> no, I'm not doing that anymore. So I kind of help. Um, other businesses that kind of want to leg up as to what they should consider if they're trying to do their own clothing brand. And so, yeah. So a bit of what, a lot of what you just said is kind of what, I, what I'm doing. Like basically you could say I'm in Montreal, what is it? Um, what is the word they call it now? A serial entrepreneur. A real entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, that's the new word. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So, well, why? I mean, you said you've been in the industry for 20 years and you're no longer doing that. So what made you leave in the first place? You know, was it something, especially if you went to school for it? Well, I've had many jobs. So it hasn't like just been one company per se. So the last job that I was at, um, there was like a layover, you know, which was actually a good thing because that kind of spiraled, as we'll talk about in terms of like a different treatment method that I was on, but I guess we'll get to that. So that was kind of a good thing as to start that particular treatment. Um, but yeah, it was time. <laughs> it, it was time. But you know, you for know. anyone who knows, the fashion industry is very fast paced, is very stressful, because sometimes you think it's like, okay, could this have been the reason that sparked the issues that I later, you know, got into? So, yeah. Okay. Well, that all makes sense. And when you know, you know, you know, when you know it's time to go, it's time to exit stage left. <laughs> exactly. exactly. So the, the elephant in the room, of course, is, well, you know, before we get into that, um, 
you reached out to me via email because you had, I guess you had seen um, or heard my story through the Heal Network, I believe. Um, and so I wanted to just kind of touch base a little bit about that and talk about that because I I just got involved with the Heal Collaborative, which for those folks who are new to the program or new to WJMS Media, they are um, an organization out in Atlanta here that is really trying to bridge the gap between education about a lot of these diseases, not just lung cancer, but, you know, lung cancer is near and dear to their hearts, but just bridge the the uh, discussion about, you know, stigmas in the Black community. And they're trying to do it through the foundation, if you will, of the Black community, which is the church. And so they're folding in a lot of pastors and, you know, folks in the community, churches that, you know, we all know how it is. If Pastor Johnson or Pastor whoever says, you know, X, Y, and Z, the congregation is going to kind of follow. Um, for centuries, it's kind of been how the Black community gets there. It's almost like our newspaper, if you will, or mm -hmm. our news outlet is the church. And that's where we, our families go, our kids grow, they grow up. You know, we've been around these people our whole lives and we're united by this this love for religion um, and and a love for Christ and a love for each other and brotherhood and, and you know, just fellowship. And so the Heal Collaborative is really trying to capitalize on that connection, not necessarily capitalize, that's not the right word, but to create opportunities um, to sort of work with the connection that the churches have in the community to really bring education about things that are affecting us, um, lung cancer being one of those main things. And so they had an event a couple of weeks ago that I was speaking at, and um, I believe that's that's sort of how you got affiliated with me. But you uh, <laughs> reached out to want to bring me on your show, and I was like, hey, hold on a minute. You have a story to tell, so let me bring you on my show. <laughs> and so I want to give you the opportunity to talk about your diagnosis, You know, talk about your journey. I guess start at the beginning, if you will, and just let us know where all this came from, when did you get diagnosed with multiple myeloma, and just what has your journey looked like thus far, you know, with what you have going on? Okay, well, oh man, it's been, it's been a journey. It's, it's been many, many, many years. However, I'm blessed because I'm still here, you know. I think, um, so to start off, just a little bit of what multiple myeloma is. Okay, multiple myeloma is a cancer that forms in a type of white blood cells um, called plasma cells. So basically healthy plasma cells help fight infections. You know, if we get, you know, sick or something, it helps us. Mm -hmm. However, in multiple myeloma, cancerous plasma cells, which again, helps us fight infections, they accumulate in the bone marrow. And what it is, it's like a fight with the healthy blood cells along with the cancerous plasma cells. And they kind of squeeze out the um, healthy blood cells. So some of the results um, of myeloma would be um, anemia, calcium levels, um, renal issues and perhaps bone issues which they they use an acronym called CRAB so it's calcium renal anemia and bone um and of course multiple myeloma is common is a common blood cancer within the black community what you know mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's twice as deadly however 
um, for black people than it is for white, because we're twice as likely to um, get diagnosed with this disease. So um, many moons ago, I was minding my business and with a doctor, you know, which I guess maybe we can get into that. I was um, very astute when it came to doctor's appointments, you know, um, so your yearly checkup, you know, your primary doctor, they do the blood work, mm -hmm. you know, that's really the, the, the biggest purpose, quite frankly, to have your um, primary doctor, because unless you have any other aches and pains or whatever, but it's that blood work that kind of highlights if there's issues. So my doctor called, you know, he was pretty good as to call to say, you know, okay, cholesterol is good, blah, blah, is good, whatever, whatever. So he said, we have a problem. Your protein levels is high. So I don't recall numbers, but I know it was in the thousands and it shouldn't have been in the thousands. <laughs> that part I know. So yeah. he was talking like there was like stuff happening within my life. And like I tell a few people when I tell the story, we were getting ready to go on a vacation, my husband and I. So I was not thinking about what this doctor was telling me. However, the week before we left, he called like, I guess the week, I guess so maybe it was a two week gap. So mm -hmm. the following week he called again and the first call was on a weekend. The second call was also on a weekend. And he was like, well, have you found a hematologist? So I was like, no. He said, well, this is serious. Because when I told you a week ago, <laughs> you know, <laughs> obviously there's something going on. Yeah. So that was so appreciative of him being on top of it. Because sometimes I know it's a gamble what doctor you get. And if they do their due diligence to make that call or you know maybe they have their nurse or the front desk oh the doctor says so so you know you just never know what you get so it was appreciative that he followed up because he could have easily after that first call and said oh you didn't do that like a year later I, but i told you to do that you know what i'm saying so he yeah. called he was on it so he told me to find a hematologist as i tell the story um hematologist what is a hematologist <laughs> okay so you kind of just break the word the greek part of it okay hema blood um and you kind of figure out the rest you know so i found a doctor and it was kind of rare to first to see a black woman young because i was in my mid-30s Okay, wow. When I was diagnosed. So yeah. rather young. This is a cancer that affects people like in their 70s and 80s. So here you, you know, flash back to 30s, like what's happening. So um came into the office and everybody's kind of looking at me like, why is she here? You know, and that's kind of what started the journey. However, um I ended up getting a second opinion because this doctor was ready to, okay, well, 
you got to do this, you got to do that. You can't do this, you can't do that. And it just wasn't in my spirit what he was saying. <laughs> Some of the things that he was saying, it was like, mm, I guess this is where people say get a second opinion. And that's kind of what we did. <laughs> and good thing, because I found out that I didn't have exactly multiple myeloma. I was mm -hmm. on the stepping stone of that. I actually had asymptomatic myeloma, which is smoldering myeloma. So it was oh. like the, the tip where, okay, the first doctor saw that the numbers look funky, okay? Um, doesn't mean exactly you have cancer or the stage of, but it's perhaps leading into an issue. And that's what it was with the second opinion. So I found um, a highly regarded doctor. <laughs> I did my little research and some people that I knew, you know, they actually helped me as well. And he was like one of the leading myeloma specialists in the country. And before we, you know, we were doing the facts thing versus how we're kind of doing things today, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and I sent him over some of my um what do you call it? Um, labs and you know all of those work, yeah. and stuff like that. And he was like, "Yeah, that's smoldering." So it's smoldering is like a watch and wait. Which I know a lot of people in the community do not like that word because who wants to watch and wait? If you're saying I have cancer or leading to cancer, what are we waiting for? <laughs> However, I was fine with that because I didn't want to do treatment. You know, mm -hmm. it was just new. Just the whole experience was new. It was scary. So if you're saying we don't have to do anything right now, quite, I was fine with that. So fast forward five years later. So we, you know, I would do the, um, the labs because that's how they see what's happening, you know? So it's not that you're watching at home and just waiting for something to happen. They are yeah. watching your blood levels and all of that. And lo and behold, I had another health hiccup that spiraled, you know, I almost died, you could say. Um, and that's what led me into active treatment, you know. So my myeloma had definitely reached that plateau of, okay, we gotta start. And, um, you know, did that whole role of chemotherapy, um, different shots, shots in the stomach, you know, just needles. I hate needles. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. Just any part of the body, I don't care. However, you know, I did what people usually do, right? When they have to make that decision, you know, and it is a hard decision. Do you go with treatment or do you you know if you did the watch and wait do you wait a little longer <laughs> but then that's like a, a battle because usually if you have a good doctor they don't want to wait you know yeah. and my doctor the second one was pretty good or the third one because the, the second one who told me no it was smoldering actually referred me to someone who was local who was also a good doctor so that's kind of how, you know, I kind of went that way. But um, 
yeah, the third doctor who I currently still have. It, it was, it was, um, it's been a good ride. It's been up and down bones <laughs> because um, some things that your doctor may want you to do. And if you're a person like me with that high personality, <laughs> um, sometimes it can be a little battle back and forth. However, yep. that's a healthy thing, you know. Um, usually sometimes we get caught up in things where we're scared to speak to our doctors because we hold them at such a high regard as they are someone I guess you should hold at a high regard. However, some get, get it wrong sometimes. And this is my life. <laughs> and we got to work together. It's yep. not you just telling me what I got to do. We just, it's got to make sense. It has to be a comfortable level because I think for the person who is afflicted with whatever, they're the ones who has to go through this journey, you know, yep. not the doctor. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that that is a powerful story. And there are some areas of your story that match a little bit with mine. Um, you know, uh, the, first of all, the fact that the doctor followed up with you is rare um, because, you know, you as well as I know that, you know, being black and being a woman in the healthcare system, they don't pay attention to us. You know, we, we are rarely seen. So the fact that your doctor really visualized and saw you and like, let me follow up with her. Um, that's that's amazing. And I'm really grateful that they did, especially based on the kind of, you know, cancer that you said that you have, because it's like, had he just watched and waited, you know, we may not even be having this conversation. It, it It's a totally different ball game, you know. And so I'm really glad to hear that that your doctor actually followed up with you. I didn't get that same kind of treatment per se with mine. And so, you know, kind of is what it is. But that being said, <laughs> I, I also waited on treatment a little bit. You know, I, I decided when I got my diagnosis that one of the major things I wanted to do was have a family still. Um, I got diagnosed at 32 with no kids. And so I was like, no, I still would like to have children. And I don't know what this is going to mean or what it's going to look like. And the crazy part about that is that I didn't know what it was going to look like. I didn't know what it was going to be, but I knew that I wanted to have a family. And so I don't even know where the idea came from to freeze my eggs. I just knew like, I got to do something to preserve something to make sure that like when the time is right and when the time does come, I have what I need to, to, you know, have a child that, you know, has my DNA, you know, and stuff like that. It can carry the the bloodline if you will, kind of. Right. Um, and so I took a month in between getting my diagnosis and starting treatment to go through that egg freezing process, which was a lot of needles stabbing myself in the stomach because <laughs> you got to do the hormone injections and all that. It was terrible. Um, so that was kind of crazy. But and then you also mentioned the things that the doctor wants you to do that you don't necessarily want to do. And you go back and forth. And I told myself the same thing, because part of the cancer that I have is that it creates fluid um, in my lungs. And so mm -hmm. the scary part for me is that I don't know when my medication is not working. I'll just it'll just start developing fluid again and I'll start getting shortness of breath and stuff like that. Like that's my indicator that something is wrong. And so for a while there, when I first started taking my medicine, um, it hadn't kicked in fully, you know, it takes time for your body to acclimate and for the, the issues and problems that you've had to kind of subside. And so I still was getting fluid in my lungs. 
on a very regular basis. And I had to go in practically, it was almost getting to the point where it was weekly where I'd have to go in and get a lung drain in, in the doctor's office, which was just awful. And so the one thing I told myself was like, I don't want a catheter. I don't want a catheter. I don't care what's going on. I'm not getting no catheter. Da, 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 da. And what happened? Got a catheter. <laughs> it's like, oh you know, God. as much as I tried to fight it and as much as I didn't want to do it, you know, the options were, okay, you can either get this catheter and get these lung drains at home where you're comfortable, you know, and so that we can get to the bottom of this faster, or you can keep coming to this office and going through this painful procedure by yourself in a cold, sterile doctor's office. What do you want to do? And I was like, <laughs> you know, so sometimes they present you with the, you know, the, the choice, but it's not really a choice, if you know what I mean. Um right. But I, it was one of those things where it was just something that I didn't, I really just didn't want that to happen. I was like, no, I refuse to do this. I don't want it to happen. And I was, you know, a little adamant about it. It was like, I was like, no, but it became something where I was like, I, I had to, you know? So I was getting lung drains three times a week. Um, usually they would average between like, uh, I don't even remember the number, but it was definitely like 50 to 60 ounces of fluid every drain, um, roughly, depending. It started off, actually, it started off pretty high, to be honest with you. I think that it was more than that. I think it was like closer to like, like 70, 80 ish ounces of, of fluid. It was, it was, it was a whole container. Um, and it's, it was more or less like the medication can't work with the fluid in there. So it's like you really need to get, the fluid down to a level where the medication has a fighting chance to work. So it was like they continued to drain and continued to drain until finally it got it to a level where the medication was like, all right, we got it from here. And so they didn't have to do that anymore. But that was, I, I when you said that, I was like, oh man, she is, she is speaking a word. Like <laughs> I was constantly trying to battle my doctor. Like, no, I'm not doing that. I don't want to, I don't want to do this. Like, no, like, you know, and stuff like that. So I, I definitely know. But how you it is, know, but it's part of the journey, right? It is. I think it's things that you want to do, and you have different types of personalities. Like some of the yep. people that I've met, and sometimes it's an age thing as well, where older people, not all, but you may have older people, it's like, oh, well, I got to follow exactly what my doctor says because I'm, he's. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm in his care, I trust his word, blah, blah, blah. In their heart, they may not necessarily agree with a lot of what they're saying, but they're going by this um, person with a certain expertise that, okay, I'ma just follow what he says. I don't agree with it, but I, I'll just not be vocal. Yeah. Honey, I oh. am quite vocal. And yes. my doctor, like I said, we have like a relationship and it has not been easy because I've pushed back a lot of times. And also people have to realize when you push back, it's not to be disrespectful for their craft of what, you know, their expertise, but this is your life, okay? Like we gotta get this right. And I'm sure they realize that as well, but you have to be vocal to tell them if you don't understand anything, what they're yeah. saying. Because sometimes the doctors, they'll talk over your head. They're looking at you, but they're thinking about the next patients, one and two and three in the next room. And yeah. they're not, they're there, but they're not totally- They're not seeing you. 
okay? So you gotta like, uh-uh, I don't care. I'm sorry about the other people in room two and three, but <laughs> right now you need to be focused here. Yep. <laughs> so yep. yeah, it's been, we've been, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, a. I think, I don't know if it's like, if I should say it's appreciative with this particular situation that I'm talking about, but it's, I think it's a respect that is um, earned. I respect him and I think he respects me as a patient, you know, because again, I'm not the, okay, whatever you say, person, patient. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that people have to remember too is that doctors are human. Like, yes, they went to school for several years longer than the rest of us and they may have a specialty or an expertise, but at the end of the day, they're human and human makes humans make mistakes. So not everything they say is gospel, you know? And so that's the other thing that you have to remember too. So there's nothing wrong with getting a second opinion or asking questions or making them tell you something again in a way that makes sense to you because this is your health and it's your body. Um, we got a question in the chat here. I'm going to throw it on the screen if I can, and then I'll read it out loud so that you can answer it. Uh, what if you have a doctor that is discouraging or lacks empathy when you're trying to ask questions or seek advice? Mm. So um. I'll let you answer that first, and I'll, I'll jump in over top of you. <laughs> um, well, I can't wait to have you on my show, but that's like another thing because... <laughs> That question, I think of my mother, because my mother had lung cancer. Um, she did not have a good time. You know, she didn't, um, not a good time, but she didn't have a good um, experience with her doctor. Um, yeah. It was horrible. <laughs> so if time was permitted, for sure, I think a second opinion. Like if your if your doctor is straight out rude, and you know, I get it. Some don't have the best bedside manner, but sometimes you gotta pluck the pros and the cons. Like if they are pro as they know they want it in terms of certain treatment or certain things that you should do. You know, if if they have those type of pros, but um. I don't know, maybe they don't shake your hand when you come in a room or whatever little thing that you feel maybe a con. You kind of like see what, what the pros are for me keeping you <laughs> and what are the cons for me to look for another opinion. You know, like the second doctor, not the primary doctor, um, he was a con <laughs> yeah. because again, he did not treat people in their 30s. Okay, so that's strike one. And strike two, some of the treatment um, thing that he was talking about after I did my little research, I was like, mm, I don't want to take that, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And it was just too gung-ho. Maybe he was a good doctor for a certain target. Like his client, his clientele, his patients were those of a certain age, which was yep. older. So you have to really level it out. Um, a lot of doctors can be rude. You know, it's not to say you should um, accept it. But again, you just have to like waver the, the pros and cons, especially if they're a good doctor in their field. You know, you don't want to give up like a really good doctor 
who's had like a good success rate. However, you have to work with them and you have to be vocal. Like if you feel like doc, I'm not feeling how you're talking to me or whatever the thing is, or if you feel they're talking too quickly and you know how that can be with doctors, they'll talk like, okay. Straight down and you're like, (laughs) okay, time out. So you're here present with me now, my little five, 10 minutes that you're in here. Let me go through the questions that I have, which that's another thing. It's good to have your questions, especially if you have a doctor who is short with you as like they're going over this, that, your labs, this, 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 that. And sometimes it can intimidate you for, for getting your questions out, you know, and who wants to wait like another month or two to address the issues that you may be having. So I think you have to really um, level out is it worth that other opinion, you know, yeah. to come in? And I think in my case, you know, I will, I will say this. I was treating in New York and I was treating at NYU Langone, which is a, a top facility for treating, you know, lung cancer. I had a specialist who was great, you know, like, you know, top in his field and stuff like that. And I had a second opinion from Memorial Sloan Kettering, you know, so I had the, I had two big contenders in New York that were my original treatment team. I moved to Savannah, Georgia, and I started treating down here. And I left the whole healthcare system down here and started treating in South Carolina because I was like, here's what you're not going to do. Like I was not getting the, the type of care that I needed. It wasn't that he was discouraging questions. It was that the bedside manner wasn't there. I felt like I felt like a number. I felt so much like a number that I was like, you know, he he had like, I think that let me, I'm not even gonna exaggerate. I'm gonna tell you guys the exact number. They said they had over 40 patients for that day. And if you break down an eight hour, like we'll just say nine to five, because that's a typical day, you know, that's a typical work day <laughs> for uh, you know, a doctor. 40 patients in an eight hour work day, minus maybe an hour for lunch, seven hour work day, you're talking five to six patients an hour in a 60 hour time frame, a 60 minute time frame, not including the wait time in the waiting room, not including check-in times and all that kind of stuff, the admin process. So already you're cutting your time. And I'm like, this disease can and will take me out at some point. I don't like to think that. But I also know that this is important to me and I need somebody on my care team who understands the importance of how serious this is to me. And if you can't give me the time of day to answer the questions that I have and take time to explain things to me in a way that makes sense so I understand what's going on within my body, then I will drive two hours to go treat at another facility with a doctor who will. Because at the end of the day, I will say this, I remember... Somebody was looking at me crazy, like, you go all the way to Charleston just to get treated? I was like, "Mm mm-hmm, and I don't complain. I don't complain at all, because I will tell you the first time that I went to that facility in South Carolina, and I did a comparison for how I felt after leaving a Savannah doctor to how I felt leaving a Charleston doctor was night and day. I wanted to cry with frustration in Savannah. I wanted to cry happy tears leaving out of Charleston because I felt seen and I felt like the doctor recognized me and understood what I was going through. I didn't have to say, hey, hey, look at me. I need an extra few minutes in your schedule so you can talk to me. 
it was like, no, what other questions do you have? Let's talk about your history. Like they literally took time to get to know me. They gave me ice water. I was like, oh, <laughs> ice water in a warm blanket for the CT scan. I was like, oh my God, this is a Louis Vuitton hospital. Like I really felt important. And that goes, when you have a cancer or you have a disease or you have something that dictates a lot of how you live your life, having a care team that cares about you and that pays attention to you and that is giving you the care that you need is literally, you can't put a price on it. It literally is the most important thing. And it makes you feel, you know, it just takes one thing off your plate. You know, you got enough to worry about when you're thinking about all these things that you have going on with you. The last thing you need to think about is, damn, did my doctor miss something? Like, you know, and I felt like that treating out here, even though the doctor is five minutes down the street from me, I felt like these people were so lax that they were going to miss something in my care. And I was going to be taken out of this life early because they just, they weren't paying attention. And I was like, mm -mm, no, mm -mm, no, I can't do that. And so, you know, yeah, everything that Yolanda said too, you know, if it's a top specialist, Sometimes when you have rare conditions and you have a specialist, sometimes you got to hold on to them, even if they're rude or they're discouraging, you know, sometimes you just need to bring somebody with you that will boost you up where the doctor doesn't, mm -hmm. you know, but don't lose sight or don't lose hold of a really, really good specialist and somebody who could potentially mean the difference between life and death for you, you know, over them discouraging, you know, and stuff like that. Like just bring somebody with you that can boost you up you know, make you feel better and stuff like that. But also make sure you, you take, like she said, like you take account of how you feel, you know, like if you feel like you're not getting the service that you need or the healthcare service that you deserve, then keep it moving. Because at the end of the day, you're paying this person like a lot of money. So I could be paying a lot of money to somebody else who I at least feel like I'm getting something out of it. Like I would hate to be paying a ton of money for cancer treatment to a doctor who literally is paying me zero attention. I'm like, well, I could just throw open my window and just shoot money out the window if this is what I wanted to do. Right. You know, like you have to take an active role in your healthcare and in your journey. And sometimes that means having the hard conversation with your doctor or it means breaking up with your doctor altogether because they're just not serving you properly. Right. You know, so that's that would be my advice to you, Beanie D. But I thank you for the question because that was a really good, you know, yes, it's a good it thing. A lot of people ask that. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to. I mean, it sounds like before diagnosis, your life was was pretty full and fun and exciting. You were doing a whole lot of stuff. So what part of your life after your diagnosis were you able to reclaim? Like me, I take pride in the fact that like I, I really try not to let my my disease stop me. I just, you know, I sit down if I need to. But for the most part, I keep moving forward. You know, I don't let it slow me down as much as I possibly can. So I want to know how much of your life you've reclaimed um, since that day that you got diagnosed. Well. It's funny because I started treatment when I was still in the fashion industry. So <clears throat> I was still going to work, mm -hmm. being stressed, you know, <laughs> going early in the morning, you know, if I had before the actual treatment, but for, to do the labs and stuff like that, I think I had to go every week or something. So I was still doing that, you know, always to the office early. So no one knew the difference, okay? No one yep. knew that I had multiple myeloma. No one knew I had cancer because first it's none of your business, okay? <laughs> that, that was my whole thing. So yep. we're going to be incognito because you don't need to know all that. And you're one of the reasons why I'm stressed. So why am I giving you that, you know, opening my shield to give that 
for you to like use that against me, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> so I was like, just doing life, continuing as I needed to. If I was traveling, okay, you have a conversation with my doctor. Okay, I'm getting ready to get on this plane. What should I think about, you know, in terms of those whole blood clot situations and just like all of these different conversations that you don't have to worry about before you get in this predicament. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, okay, this you're giving me this advice. Okay, cool. So I can still get on a plane. Okay, cool. Those kind of conversations. Um, So basically, I've continued living life as I still do to this day. However, as I say, the body does what the body does, you know, like you telling me I'm sick, but I'm doing okay. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm good. And then something happens. You know, I don't think sometimes we realize how delicate our bodies are. I think if we, if we knew or if we know from earlier on, maybe we treat it a little bit more um, kinder, you know. Um, stress is a killer. For me, I feel like that probably was something that activated, you know. They say that usually you may have those dormant <laughs> cells. Yep. Okay, they just waiting. Mm. And if you're lucky, you may not even be plagued with it to activate. But honey, I truly believe it's like if you overly, if if the stress level is a 10 and you want 20, it's any time that something crazy may take place. And I think for me, that may have been it. Plus, I think there was other factors as well, because with multiple myeloma, they don't really know the reason. And it kills me when they don't know the reason of why you get these hideous things. Same. But I know... Years ago, we lived at a, I grew up in Brighton Beach, Brooklyn, New York. And um, we lived near a cleaners. And I remember coming home from school, you know, and the fumes just like vaporizing the whole home. But you don't think of anything. You just, mm -hmm, and just kind of move it. And then we moved to another place, again, that was near a cleaners. Now, who knows? Could that have something to do with it? I don't know. And it doesn't help when the doctors don't know. So it's just like, like with the COVID, nobody knows. But here, let's do this treatment. Like, you kind of want to know how you got to this. <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? So it that can be frustrating. But um, back to your question. Yeah, I just, you know, we cried. <laughs> In the beginning, like when you hear cancer, come on, that just does that just messes up your whole psyche, you yeah. know. That's like that's it's crazy. And then with multiple myeloma, like you do your research, they're telling you in five years you can die from this. You know what I'm saying? But <laughs> let me give you some positive stuff. Okay, because I don't know if you're going to get on that, but I'm jumping a gun, so I apologize. But it's, they don't tell you that a lot of these statistics are based off of white male of a certain age, which understandably, 
those, you know, that's why it's deemed that if you're in your 70s or 80s, it's more prone that you may get multiple myeloma. Okay, that's one. Two, not many people of color are in these clinical trials. Hmm. That's a whole nother okay. conversation. So when you do those Google searches or whatever research you're doing, they're not really thinking of black people per se, part of these numbers. So yeah, it's a very deadly situation. Yeah. However, there is hope. <laughs> when you look at those statistics, that just blows your mind that you just know that this is it. And I've kind of, I just made that um, after we did the crying, because we was doing the boohooing a little. And then I was like, yo, I have so much stuff that I want to do. You know what I'm saying? And I've kind of, I've been doing it. <laughs> okay. I've been doing it. So yeah, child. I see so much of myself in you. It's so funny. We have the same sort of mindset, you know, like, uh, like, I, I, I mean, listen, I got my diagnosis in New York, too. And I every day and again, they don't know non-smoker, 32 years old, healthy, active, never been in the hospital, no asthma, no allergies, no history of cancer in my family. I have stage four lung cancer. How, Sway? Like, it doesn't make any sense. And the doctors don't know where it came from. So I go down that rabbit hole all the time. Is it from me scooping kitty litter all the time? Is it, did, was I living in a house that had radon and didn't know it? I lived in New York. Was it Subway? Was it 9-11 fumes? Like, you know, was it taxi cab, gas emissions? Like, it could be so many things. It, was it stress? Because, Lord, when I tell you, New York was a stressful time in my life. It absolutely was stressful. You know, maybe it was a perfect storm of all of those factors put together. And like you said, it, it switched on that switch that I, you know, wish never existed in the first place. But, you know, it's it does it does mess with you when the doctors don't know. I, it's one of those double edged swords because it's almost like I don't want to know because like what if they do say, oh, it's your cats. And I'm like, oh, sh like, <laughs> damn, like, you know, what I mean? or like, you know, like, dang, like for real. Or like, what if they, you know, if they say it's something that I'm like, oh you know, wow. So it's, it's one of those things where you almost don't want to know, but you do at the same time, but you know, the doctors just have no idea what, where it came from, but what you said makes a hundred percent sense hearing that word cancer. And I had the boohoos too, you know, I don't cry very often. I have moments, you know, but I try not to live in that space. Like I try to live in a, a positive mindset. And I honestly feel like, you know, and I say this all the time, like for people that have cancer, like, I feel like I'm one of those people that's going to be like, damn, are you still here? Sure am. <laughs> Sure am. Like, if anybody could be around for a super unnecessarily long time with this disease, I feel like I'm that person. But I mean, hearing that word, it it pierces your mortality bubble. Like you walk around, we all walk around this world thinking that we're immortal, you know, until something happens to us. Even, you know, as kids, we're fine until we break a bone. You know, once you break a bone, it's like you open the, the floodgates at that point, you know, and or you know, just once you have a near-death experience or once you have an accident or anytime something significant happens to you where your life flashes before your eyes, intense pain, intense trauma, it it makes that bubble a little bit less strong. You know, it just kind of reminds you like, hey, we're mortal and things can happen to us. And so hearing that cancer word and then adding the level of of unknowing that we have to it where it's like we don't know where it came from or why it's here you know, that really just, it, it makes the bubble feel extremely fragile. It almost feels like, you know, the most 
I don't even know the most sensitive possible thing. It's I would almost say it's like an egg, but even an egg is probably tougher than a bubble when you think about it. So, right. you know, but it it's, just, it does something to that bubble. It's, let me tell you. So I've had three people, you know, it's like how to start this conversation. I remember when I was young, you know, and my mother, she always instilled in me that, sweetheart every you know one day we're gonna die <laughs> you know yeah. there's no overlooking this or that it's just a question will you live younger you know older or whatever the case was so being so young and hearing that it's kind of like you don't really grasp okay what is death you know that the person will no longer be here but you don't, you know, the whole spiritual aspect of it, you know, maybe that wasn't quite broken down or, or whatever, or maybe it was. Now, yeah, I've lost a close friend at what, 23 maybe from lupus, okay? She was able to have her son before she passed away and she got married. So I felt, felt like she did her whole life within a short <laughs> period of time. Yeah. I've lost my um, best friend from renal disease a few years ago. And then I lost my mom from lung cancer. So it's just kind of like, and then of course there's the other family and, you know, friends and all of that kind of stuff. But it's just kind of like seeing that and knowing that literally we don't have that much time. So if you're trying to do stuff, don't look at it, oh, I'll do it in another year. You really got to do that now because it's not guaranteed. Yeah. It really isn't. And when you think of think of life that way, when you're afflicted with cancer or any chronic whatever, you kind of look at things a little differently. That, okay, some things are out of your control, but you know what? Some things are in still in my control. <laughs> so I'm going to see if I can do X, Y, and Z, you know, despite the odds yeah. of me completing it or whatever the case is may be dim, but I'm going to try it anyway. So, yep. It's like you, you're presented with two choices. You either curl up in a ball and boohoo yourself until you're no longer here, or you say, Okay, that happened. Let's let's mm, let's adjust. Let's come back <laughs> and let's keep on moving forward. You know, and I I took the second path, and it sounds like you took the second path too. Because honestly, it's like God, I got stuff to do. Like I still got to get to work. Like what are we talking about? Like <laughs> life must go on. So I do want to give you a second though to talk about your books because you're a twice published author at this point, and so I want to give you an opportunity to talk about both of those. Um, we're about almost done with the show but we still have a few more things to go over but i want to make sure i okay. give you adequate time to talk about both of those before we do okay so the first book that i wrote um oh man when was that i think that was maybe 2003 or 2005 i don't even remember it <laughs> was um, it's called the ins and outs of the fashion industry from a fashion insider and it was just my memoir if you will <laughs> of my time as being a black woman in the fashion industry, and especially in the area that I was in, you know, product development, 
technical design, like I said, like all of those different titles and stuff like that. So um, I had a I had a hard time, yo. <laughs> I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. It 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 was tough. Yeah, it was tough, and there weren't a lot of people like me. I probably, if I was in a company, I'd probably be the only black woman there. So you oh, can wow. imagine those types of trials and tribulations within that. Um, so I wrote my little stories of basically the ins and outs, just as it says, <laughs> and then. Of course, I get diagnosed with multiple myeloma or smoldering at that time. And I was like, I want to write a book. I want to write a second book. Yeah. It's funny because that came about just a year before my mom passed away. And I didn't tell her right away that I had multiple myeloma. So literally, I don't even know the time, timeline, but I'll say... She passed away in 2010. I want to say maybe the end of 2009 or the beginning of 2010. That's when I told her, you know. So there was a little stretch from the time that we were trying to figure out what was happening for me sharing that, you know, with her. But um, when I told her, she was like, and I was like thinking of doing a book. She was like, well, go ahead, hurry up. And because there was like a part where I kind of got stuck on certain things. And she was like, well, when are you going to finish this book and stuff like that? And it's just like, you know, you think about it now. She didn't even make it to like see the book, you know, the second book. But um, that was kind of like my little footprint to leave for those who look like me or not young, definitely for the younger versions, where you have an imprint where you can like reference. <laughs> because when I was diagnosed, there really wasn't any good reference. You know, there were some people that I tried yeah. to reach out to. A lot of people are not bubbly or want to be bothered. You know, they're in this, they're in this folk, which is definitely understandable, you know, and some just don't want to be bothered. Like they're trying to figure yeah. their journey. They don't have time to conversate, and which I totally get, you know. So me writing the second book was my um, leave back for those who want to know what I went through to help Damn, them. I really need to write a book. Write <sighs> that book. You know, and the crazy part is, is I've kept a journal from... Oh, God, I had a live journal back in the day, which is really old. That's like, I want to say maybe pre-MySpace. And okay. like, it was like awkward, like junior high into high school times. Like, but I've had some like some serious, some life hiccups um, from junior high to, to, to today, of course. And, you know, I, I have a journal that has documented a lot of it. And so I'm like, man, I really should find a way to put this into a book. But I just, you know, you think about it and you get intimidated by how much work it is to actually write a book. But do it. Got to start. It's work. It's work. Yeah. But you know what? So what? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, where can people find you your book? Tell though? your story than someone else or your story not to be told at all. Right. You're true. That's true. Absolutely true. But where can people find your books at? Like, where can we go and purchase? Um, Barnes and Noble, I believe online, 
on okay. um, Amazon. And for the second book, it's Amazon for sure. And it's my website. Um, hold on. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's www.madaboutmyeloma.com. All right. And I'll make sure I get that up on the uh, the link itself. So folks, if you revisit this after we've aired uh, and you're interested in more information, I'll put the links in the comment section and as well in the uh, the archive footage also. So that'll be in there. Um, but I we got to talk about your business now. You have a whole entire business, Spitfire Productions. So let's talk about that and, and where that came from and what you're doing with that and, and everything else so that people have an idea of where that came from. First off, I want to give you kudos for even saying the name right, because usually that's a trial. Is it Spitfire? No, it's Spit Girl. It's Spitfire. Drop the E. Okay. <laughs> that's so what I thought. And I was that. like, man, I didn't ask her that in the beginning. I was like, I'm right. going to go with it. <laughs> right. You, you, girl, you the girl. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, I tried. So Spitfire. <laughs> So Spitfire Productions is basically my, um, it's my brand. So I, again, been in the fashion industry. So I help coach other business, smaller businesses that need like a, a leg up of what direction they should go with their businesses. Um, and from, from that particular business, it's kind of branched into other things. Like I said, I've always been a serial entrepreneur. I remember having um, a newsletter that I used to have. What was it? The Laundry Source many moons ago. Like when I think and reflect about my life, like, yo, I did a lot of stuff. <laughs> okay. And it's not to like pat myself on the shoulder. It's just like, it was a lot going on because part of me felt like, just in case, you know, time runs out. Let me, I want to do this. I want to do that. And just kind of doing it. So um, Spitfire Productions has also branched into other things that I wanted to, wanted to do. Um, I have a nonprofit in memory of my mother called May's Breath. Okay. So I'm all about advocacy and lung cancer that until I die. So that's, my goal of what for sure definitely so that's a 501c3 um um organization so that's under spitfire as well um and then i have um i had a shoe blog i haven't done that in a couple of years because those who know know me know i love a shoe um <laughs> things have changed you know over the years since I'm not really in on fashion, Seventh Avenue, like that. So I still got the shoes, but it ain't that serious like it was a couple of years ago. And so part of my journey, I um, became a certified personal trainer. So my business is called Chronic Fitness. Again, it's under Spitfire Productions. Awesome. And I work with people like us if you will you know people who have some type of chronic ailment but not as dire who can still put some type of physical activity in their day to day so here yeah, child yeah. <laughs> oh and then i have the um what do you call it um the instagram series that i started um called 
no better time than the present. So that's the series I started this year. There was some other thing, other projects that I was working on. Um, and that's too long of a story, but I, I want something, I felt something in my heart to do this series. And I wanted to take advantage of this Instagram live thing, Majigi. Yep. And it's working out very well. You know, I'm poking up some very um, spectacular guests, you know, to hear their journeys, whether it's people in multiple myeloma, breast cancer, MS, I'll have you later this year. So it's just different stories that I would want them to share with, um, you know, a segment of people, not just people in the myeloma ends, but just to hear um, everyone's story. And, and this is for patient advocates, if you will, or not really patient advocates, but yeah, patient advocates, because not everyone has that, not everyone is as vocal as you and I may be, right? So what do we do about about those people? We have to be the, the voice mm -hmm. a little or the front voice for them to give them that courage to ask those questions of their medical team, right? So if they see us like whether it's Instagram Live or whatever your social media means, and they see us making a go, asking the questions or what have you, it's just, I think it helps motivate them for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. And, you know, don't get it twisted. It took me a minute to start talking about it. I had to have a come to Jesus moment myself. I was keeping it very close to my chest, you know, not doing anything to help the stigma, of course, but I am, I am past that now at this point, I am a very loud advocate, <laughs> uh, very vocal about lung cancer. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's part of who I am now, but it's not all of who I am. You know, like I like to make that distinction like this. It's not just that, like I have a lot more going on than just that. Um, but yeah, it took me a long time. And so I understand the people that don't want to talk about it and the people that are in that bubble. I understand because I was there for a little bit, not a long time, you know, but I was there for, for a little while while I figured out, you know, what, like why, you know, like trying to, I still have yet to figure out why I have some ideas, but you know, I just really was trying to get my, my whole arms around this whole entire, just sort of bombshell that, that fell in my lap. And it took me a long time to come to terms with that, but you know, I still come to terms every day a little bit with it, you know, and it's it's one of those things that I think is going to be an ongoing process. It's not something that's just going to be like, yes, tomorrow I am coming to terms, <laughs> you know, with what I have going on. It's something that is going to be a long, it's a long game. It's not a short game here. So, um, but yeah, so I wanted to, before we close, I wanted to just give us a moment to talk about mental health, because it is very easy, like you mentioned earlier, to get into these bubbles where, you know, it's hard having a diagnosis like this or having a condition and not just diagnosis people, but unseen conditions, conditions that, you know, go unnoticed because you quote unquote, look fine on the outside, but inside you're in pain or you're struggling or you're hurting. And so I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about maybe some of the best practices that you've put into place or some of the things that have helped you to maintain your not necessarily positive attitude, because I, I, I feel like positive attitude can sometimes be a weight or an anchor, you know, it kind of takes away from your ability to have bad days. Um, but 
some of the things that have made you mentally strong while dealing with this journey and, and being in this uh, in this space, if you will? Wow. Um... I know it's a loaded question. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta hit you with at least one of them. <laughs> you know, just one. Um, I think, I don't know. Like, like you said, like we have our moments. Um, not everyone is bubbly, you know, for sure, which is understandable. Um, you have to walk in your own journey of how you want to move forward. And the path is not a straight path. Everyone's path is different. Um, and it's not straight. It's going to be crooked, diagonal, sideways, all of these different ways. And it's okay. Um, just one little part that I want to add, and I'll get back to what you um, had asked, was... Um, Though not everyone may be of out there patient advocate, which is totally totally fine. And I don't even, to be honest, know how I even got here. Anyone <laughs> knows me in public speaking? Oh my Jesus! I can remember like being in meetings, and it even if it's like five of us, and it's like I gotta talk. <laughs> okay, I gotta do this whole presentation. Like, say what? And now I'm out here talking to these strangers, but not really strangers, because we do have a common, you know, connection to some yep. degree. You know what I'm saying? So I get if, well, I don't want to like do all of that of what she's doing, which is fine. You know, my whole thing when it, when it, when I say advocacy it's also being vocal with your doctor. That's the most important thing. Later for being on a TV show or doing a radio interview or whatever you're doing, it's just having a vocal conversation with your medical team and don't have those questions in your head. <laughs> just yeah. be vocal with it, you know, and that's showing your advocacy right there because self-advocacy you're speaking for yourself not someone else speaking for you now back to your question mental health i think it's like a day-by-day -day thing um i'm always busy i'm always on my busy but my busy is different these days it's something that i enjoy doing it's yeah. not like oh my god i'm so stressed it's a different stress than the years I put in corporate America, <laughs> it's like, it's it's a whole different kind of stress. This is kind of like, okay, if I don't feel like doing that today, that's fine. We'll try tomorrow. If I want to eat this today, okay, well, we'll cut back next week. You know, it's like a whole different thing. So I think in terms of mental health, not being, beating myself too much on a bad day. You know, we can all have a bad day. You know, you don't feel like being bothered. That's fine. So, yeah. yeah. I think to add to that, and I'll, I'll give some, you know, of my own mental health things. I think what really messes us up as not just, just us, but human beings in general is when 
reality comes face to face with our expectations. <laughs> That's there's that intersection between those two that usually they, in the words of, you know, it really messes you up. Right. So I think that for me, one of the things that help with my mental health is like, when you get a diagnosis like this, you start thinking about all the things you can't do and all the things you haven't done and whatnot. And I think that one of the things that helped me was understanding that just because I have this diagnosis, it doesn't mean I can't still do those things. It just means that that process may look a little bit different. And so I had to really come to terms with, okay, Jamie, are you somebody who's more concerned about the process or the end result? Because right. as long as you're only concerned about the end result, it doesn't matter how you get from point A to point B. The matter, What matters is that you got there. And so for me, coming to terms with that and really taking a hard look at my goals and my expectations to realize, okay, I really just wanted, you know, the feeling of doing X, Y, and Z. I didn't really necessarily care about the outcome or I really just wanted the outcome and didn't necessarily care about the process. Once I started to come to terms with those things and realize what was more important to me, it made it a lot easier to not be so down on myself about this diagnosis because mm -hmm. I realized that, yes, this is just, it's just an obstacle in the way of my goal. It's not necessarily the end of my story at all. This, you know, cancer is not a sentence. It's, it's you know, a period, it's a sentence. So, or whatever that phrase is, I probably said that wrong. Yeah, whatever. I know what you mean though. <laughs> it ain't the end all be all, you know what I mean? Yeah. So once I came to terms with that and understood that it helped me, you know, tremendously with, with keeping my mental right. And like, just being like, Hey, I'm still going to do it. Like, you know, I'm still going to be a mom. I'm mm -hmm. still going to do X, Y, and Z. I still got married. I still did all these things. So like, it didn't change all of that, you know, and I savor those moments a little bit more because they have happened in spite of, you know? Um, and the other thing is just, like you said too, I'm actively doing things that make me happy. Yeah. You know, like I, I actively seek out things that reduce my stress level. And that includes jobs. Like I've learned to say no to things. I'm like, mm you know, I just don't want to do that. <laughs> you know, like before you get, you get plagued with this, this feeling that you have to say yes to things and that you have to, to be everything to everybody, but you can't be everything to everyone. You know, like what's the phrase you can do, you can do anything, but you can't do everything. And so I learned to say no to some things that I'm like, that really is just not something I need. I don't need to take that onto my plate. I'm just, I'm, I'm just not interested at this point. And I, I don't give myself guilt over it. You know, and there there are some days where I'm a wonderful employee and there are other days where I am really not great. <laughs> I'm like, you know, what? we'll be back at it again tomorrow. Um, and that's with everything. You know, there's some days that you're able to give it 100 percent and some days that you're like, you know, I really phoned it in on that one. But tomorrow I'll, I'll be better. And that's kind of how I, I look at things. And that's how sort of how I just keep my everything within focus, because you have to let go of this idea that everything has to be perfect has to be on this perfect timeline. It has to be in this perfect trajectory. Life is messy and it's not a straight line. Like you said, it, it sometimes takes you around in circles and back a couple steps and then you shoot forward a whole bunch more and you just have to kind of learn to just strap in and enjoy the ride and take it for what it is. And when I stopped putting or stopped putting so much, you know, emphasis on expectations and just started to look at reality, you know, everything kind of was just seems to be okay. <laughs> and that that for me seems to work. So I don't know if that's going to work for anybody else, but you know, just like Cat Williams, you say, get in touch with your star player. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that phrase, like your star player, get in touch with them. You um, know. <laughs> but is there anything else that you want to share with uh, the listeners before we close? I'm going to give you an opportunity to shout out your contact information as well. If anybody wants to connect with you offline um, for anything as well. 
Okay, well, I just want to say for um, those tuning in, life is not easy. <laughs> you know, if it's not illness, perhaps it could be something else. You know, you just don't know. I know that you just have to live live life to the fullest, you know, and whatever that means for you is whatever that means for you. You know, my story is my story. Jamie's story is Jamie's story, you know, but it's okay. <laughs> you know, this, I think my mom used to say this or my grandmother, but this too shall pass, you know, and whatever you think that means in there is whatever it is like okay i have multiple myeloma which by the way i don't know if i mentioned i'm in remission oh oh let me oh, i forgot about that's that. important girl you need to leave with that <laughs> i should have said that in the beginning sorry right. start the conversation with that right there like yeah and i just pray that's with that that's still every year you got to get all these major tests to make sure it's still there but yeah. um thank yeah. you jesus but it's i kind of look at it as okay why am i still here where others are not and how do i want to use my time that i'm here so if it means me being the voice that you need to be then so be it but I will say for those who are newly diagnosed, let's say with a multiple myeloma or any cancer or whatever, you just take one day at a time, you know, you take one day at a time and you will figure out the path that you need to, um, you know, move forward on this journey. Yep, absolutely. And so, my dear, where can people find you and follow you if they want to get in touch with you and, and just talk about your journey with you or get you on their show so you can continue being an advocate or purchase your books, of course. One more time for those links. Oh, thank you. So they can um, reach me. My website is www.madaboutmyeloma.com. And Twitter is at madaboutmyeloma. My Instagram is myelomachick with a K at the chick. Um, and Facebook is another face of multiple myeloma. All right. Well, I'll make sure I get all those links into our archive for this show. I want to thank you so much for just connecting with me. And, you know, I'm glad that something I said resonated with you because it resulted in this really amazing episode. So I appreciate your time thank tonight you. and just being there and everything that you're doing to advocate for what you're doing. And yes, with the remission, next time, start the conversation. I know, with the remission. My <laughs> That's kind of important. <laughs> And shame on me for not asking, I guess. But I mean, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And folks, we'll be back again with another new episode. So make sure you keep it locked. I have some really great people that I'm connecting with, and I'm excited to bring them to the show. Make sure you connect with WJMS Media on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, and check into TikTok. We do a little bit of fun stuff on TikTok, too. So, And there's also all the archives for the show are on YouTube as well. So if you want to watch some more episodes and catch up with some of the things you may have missed, make sure you go check out WJMS Media over there as well. Again, want to thank the folks that gave us comments today, Beanie D in the chat. We appreciate you for asking questions, and thank you for tuning in. All the folks that listen through Facebook as well, thank you for tuning in as well. And we will be back again. Until then, everybody stay safe, and we'll see you next time right here on WJMS Media. 
Thanks for listening to WJMS Media, where media is reimagined. You can check us out on our Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. Also check out our website at www.wjmsradio.com. And we also have a newsletter, so you can subscribe and be up to date on everything.